0: So 1 Peter uh, 1 to 12. So this is ancient Rome, if you can picture that. Nero is uh, the emperor, Emperor Nero, who was, uh, as I'm sure many of you are well aware, he was an evil man. He had some very bizarre goings-on in his, in his life, but above everything that he did, he was, let's say, evil Uh, something that he wanted to do was to rebuild part of Rome. I'm sure some of you are aware of that. He wanted to rebuild part of Rome. And, of course, to rebuild, it means you've got to knock things down. But he didn't just go and knock things down and rebuild like any normal person. What he did was he set fire to things. He set fire to parts of Rome so that they would burn down. And that it would cause so much uh, disruption and of course, in the process of burning things down, people were getting angry. People said, so what's going on? Who's doing this? And being emperor, he, that's the last thing he wanted to, to have, isn't it? The blame upon himself. So he shifted the blame upon Christians. He said the Christians are the ones who have started the fires. So throughout Rome, people blamed the Christians for these fires. And Christians were hated throughout the provinces of the Roman Empire. Here we see Peter addressing the pilgrims of the dispersion, the, the, the fleeing, the, the, out, the outspreading of the people. And it says Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And these are all places which would have been, well, today are in northern Turkey. So Christians are fleeing persecution. They're fleeing for their lives because people hate them. They want to either beat them up or even take their lives. And I'm sure some of you are aware that many Christians did lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. Many of them were thrown to the lions and uh, put in the circus, and they were cruelly treated for entertainment. Now, our situation today is very different, isn't it? It's very different from their situation back then. Their lives were in danger. Our lives today, we're not really in danger, are we, because of our faith? these people they had turned their backs on their upbringing everything that they had been taught as children no matter what sort of philosophy it was they've had to turn their back on that to turn to christ therefore they were challenging the authorities of the day the authorities of perhaps their own parents and these people would have been seen as heretics Not heretics as we would see them. It seems to us that these people were converted. They were true believers. But in the eyes of their philosophical forebears, they were heretics. They've turned away from the so-called truth. Now, that's not too dissimilar today, is it, really? If we look at the Church of England, the authority within the Church... Uh, we see that they 're doing things aren 't they that, that are completely unbiblical completely wrong completely they go against, completely against the word of God, and thankfully, there are many churches within the Church of England who are coming out of that they're they 're removing themselves from it and of course they 're going to be tired with that brush aren 't they they 're going to be um, thought of as well i 'll say unbiblical but unbiblical from the point of view that the uh, these very liberal churches uh, think of it, but they're not. They're actually trying to be more biblical. But that's the situation here. These people are fleeing for their lives because they have accepted, they believe the truth, the truth of God's word. In chapter uh, in, in verse 1, we read that Peter is writing to The pilgrims, and at the end of the chapter—not the chapter, sorry—the book, sorry, the letter. (laughs) um, It actually says Babylon. He's writing from Babylon, but it's actually thought that that's a code name for Rome, uh, because Peter obviously he, he wants to try and protect himself. He wants to be able to live for so that he can encourage his his brethren. So although it says Babylon, we believe that he is actually writing from Rome to. The believers who are spread out. That's Jewish believers and Gentile believers who are scattered across today northern Turkey. And Peter writes to them to exhort them, to encourage them in their faith. He encourages them to be faithful, to be faithful to God, to be faithful to the word of God. Now this may seem a bit strange, but he encourages them to submit to the authorities where they can. Now, we, at the moment, it's fairly easy for us, isn't it, to submit to the authorities. But there might time, there, a time might come fairly soon, I don't know, when there's only so far we can go and we cannot commit to everything. Now, they had it much worse. They, couldn't, they could submit so far, but not very far at all. Peter encourages them to be good servants, to be good masters, servants faithful to your masters, masters treat your, your servants well. He encourages wives to be faithful to their husbands, husbands to be faithful to their wives. And he encourages the Christian, the believer, the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be faithful and to care for the Christian, their fellow believer in Christ. And Peter says to them that although you are in mid-persecution here and unfortunately is likely to get worse. He encourages them to keep on going with Christ, to live for him, to declare the good news of the gospel to those around, to declare that Christ is risen. Now, today, we do live in relative freedom, don't we? I know it appears to be getting harder as the days go on, as the months go on, and persecution I really don't know. It appears that it's going to be getting stronger. The persecution is going to hit us a little bit harder. The question for you today is, where do you get your encouragement from? Where do you get your encouragement to keep going from? Well, here we see Peter's method of encouragement for the believers in this dispersion. So Peter's method of encouragement here. Is to point them to what's beyond, to what's beyond the persecution, but more importantly, actually, to what's beyond this life. And we'll look at that in a few moments. But there is a, a verse here which some of you might struggle with, and I just want to sort of spend a couple of moments, really, just trying to clarify that. And it's verse two, where it says, "Elect according to the full knowledge of God the Father." Elect, it means chosen. Now for some of you who perhaps are not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not get hung up on this word. Don't let this hinder you in any way. If we were to turn to John 3, we would read about a man called Nicodemus. And he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and he asks him, how can I be saved? And Jesus gives him a bit of an odd reply. He says to him, you must be born again. And then, of course, he questions that, well, how can I be born again? How can I enter my mother's womb a second time? That's impossible. But he means to be born again spiritually. Now, let's think about what that means. Some of you perhaps don't really understand or realize what actually happens there. And I'm not saying that I know everything. It's, it's, it's actually a very deep and complex um, subject to be born again. But let's just think for a moment of a baby, a newborn baby. What does a newborn baby do? It cries, doesn't it? And what does it cry for? It wants its mother. It wants milk. It wants feeding. That's what it needs. Now, we as human beings are told in God's word that we would not choose God. Of our own accord, we would never choose to follow the Lord Jesus. Because we don't want to. We are enemies of God him. But if we are born again, that means our desires change. If, uh, if we are born again, we will cry out for God. We want the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour, uh, savior, but you have that desire within your heart to know him, to follow him, that desire has been put there by God. You could not conjure, up, conjure that up yourself. So that's, I suppose in a way, that's what it's like to be born again. We would not choose God. But God chooses us and enables us to then choose him. It says that we love him because he first loved us. And in verse 2 we read that we are are chosen. And that our salvation is actually sealed by the sprinkling of the blood of God of Jesus Christ. It's a comfort to all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do not believe in him, come to him. Come to him that you may be saved and that you may know these things for yourself. In verse 18 and 19, it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's how we are saved. We are saved not with corruptible things, not with things that can perish, things that can be destroyed, but only by the Lord Jesus Christ. He cannot change. What he has done, he has done for all who come to him. And that includes all of us here this evening. So let's move on then to these verses here from 3 to 12. Now, I want to split this into three different headings. Um, Hope, joy, and peace. First of all, then, hope, verses 3 to 5, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter directs them to what's beyond the grave. It's beyond persecution, but it goes a, a step further. It's beyond the grave. He's telling them to think of your inheritance, to think of what God has prepared for you. Now, children have many privileges. We are all, or were all children at one stage. Some of you still are children. Uh, some of those privileged privileges um, like being able to talk to our parents talk to mum and dad give them a call uh, whenever we want to we can seek help advice from mum and dad it's not always the best but (laughs) as children we need that don't we we need that comfort Uh, and so often they are willing to drop everything and to come and help again it's not always the best kind of help but so often just having your parents there can be a great encouragement and another, another privilege of all children is inheritance. Now the inheritance, the, our earthly inheritance, that gets passed down to us, doesn't it, at the death of our parents. But the inheritance of a believer, the inheritance of a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't get passed down at the death of our, our parents. That gets passed to us when, when we die. So when we die and we leave this earth... We receive that inheritance which, is, which has been prepared for us. It's guaranteed to us. It's been sealed by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 4, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. So people, they live in hope, don't they? They live in hope. We all live in hope. We live in hope of tomorrow. We live in the hope of the future, that things perhaps may turn out better. Perhaps if some of you are ill, you may hope that one day you'll be cleared of that illness, get the all clear, whatever that illness may be. We, we live in hope to see loved ones, to see our family, to see our friends. Some of you younger people, I expect, live in a hope to maybe start a family, to get married and to do all those things. There's someone who lived in a hope in the Bible who almost let that hope get too far, get too, be too much for them. If you we were to look at Luke 15, we read of the story of the prodigal son, don't we? He couldn't wait for his inheritance. He demanded that he have his inheritance now. And his inheritance was given to him. He blew the lot and ruined himself, didn't he? Now, if hope is removed, if hope is taken away from us, then life becomes harder, doesn't it? We don't know what to live for. We struggle to keep going. And unfortunately, if hope really is removed, then that leads to despair. And for many people, that has been the case. And unfortunately, when that happens, we see that people take their own lives. And I think since, since COVID the suicide rate has, gone, has rocketed. It's gone really, really high. But if hope remains, if we have a hope, then we find strength, don't we, to carry on. No matter how hard the work may be, we carry on. Because we know that there'll be a result at the end. We will see something at the end of it. And Peter here refers to a hope not in a possibility... but in something that's guaranteed he, sp- he speaks of a hope in a fulfilment of a promise to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled things which it cannot change in any way if we think of our own our earthly inheritance that's corruptible isn't it it can go up it can go down and when we do finally get it a great big chunk's taken off it and given to the government <laughs> you know it's corruptible but this inheritance is incorruptible It cannot change. So Peter refers to this hope in a fulfilment of a promise. And it's a hope which doesn't actually hinge upon ourselves. It hinges upon God. God who is great in mercy. And it says in verse 4, reserved in heaven for you. If you're a believer this evening then that inheritance has got your name on it. And no one can take that from you. If we are hopeless, if we are without hope, then it's because of us, isn't it? It's not because of God. It's not because God has taken that away from us. It's not because he has taken our inheritance away from us. It's because that we are lacking, perhaps, in faith. He has given us every reason to hope. And that's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer this evening, you have reason to hope because there is someone, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has paid your penalty yeah. for this, for your, paid the penalty for your sins. If you just turn to him and be saved. And in verse 5 we read, Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now this word here, it says, Who are kept. Now, if you were to look at the Greek, it means to guard. And it's an armed guard. It's like having a garrison around you. You See, in verse 4, it speaks about the inheritance being kept, being guarded for you. And now in verse 5, he's speaking about you being guarded to receive that inheritance. So he tells us to think what we'll have at the end of it. This life may be difficult. This life may be hard. We may go through some pretty horrible things. We may suffer. But think of what you'll have at the end of it. In John chapter 16. We read in verse 20 and 20 or 21. A woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child. She no longer remembers the anguish for joy of a human being that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now having sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. We may struggle, we may go through sadness on here, but at the end of it, if we endure until the end, we will have that joy. in, uh, In John 14, we read that Jesus Christ is... Going to prepare a place for us. He says in his father's house there are many mansions. You know, we, we are we're on a journey, aren't we? We've got to keep on going. No matter how many times we we may struggle, we may fall or you know, stumble, we've got to keep on going because we know what's ahead. We because we know we have that inheritance. I don't know if any of you have perhaps climbed um, Ben Nevis. Um, but it's obviously it's the highest mountain in Britain and it's a really long slog to be honest with you, it's quite, quite hard work and when you think you've got to the top you realise that oh great it's a full summit and then you get to the next one, oh another full summit and there's quite a few of those on the way up and but you keep on going because you know, I've actually probably picked a, a wrong example here but You get to the top in the hope that you'll see some fantastic views. I've been up it twice, and you can only see about that far ahead of you. (laughs) Uh, And it was freezing cold. But, you know, you keep on going because you're expecting something at the end. We've got to keep on going. Paul encourages the people here, encourages you and me to keep on going, no matter what we go through, because we have an inheritance. We have that hope. Our next heading, joy. Surely hope... This hope gives us joy. In verses 6 to 9, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are to rejoice in this hope that God has given us. Even though we may suffer greatly for it, we are to rejoice. In the book of Acts we read that the disciples they were persecuted for the sake of the gospel but what did they do they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to be persecuted for the sake of the gospel I wonder how many times this evening you know you as individuals you have not spoken to I don't know, perhaps your neighbour, someone at work, you have not mentioned to them about the Lord Jesus Christ because you are afraid of what they may say or what they may do. You know, we don't like confrontation, do we? But what's the worst that's going to happen in a situation like that? They may laugh at us. They may turn turn the other way and, and walk away. Okay, they might physically hurt us to to some degree, but then they'll be in trouble, wouldn't they? But we don't like confrontation. We don't like we we don't speak because so often we are scared of what what may happen. You know, it's all very well to be in a situation like this where we can meet with lots of other believers. We can encourage each other. We can meet around the word of God, and we can stir each other up and you know really. get that flame going and then at the end of it we can all think oh yeah i'm on fire i can go out there i'm going to go out there and i'll and i'll preach and i'll tell them about the lord jesus christ and we walk out that door and we think oh yeah where's all that strength gone that's happened to me loads of times and i'm sure that's happened to many of us here but we must stand for Christ, It says whatever whatever the cost really. In verse 7 it says, it says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if we ought to never say anything. If we never do anything like that. If we never witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that actually prove? Well it doesn't prove that we're not Christians it may do but I think what it does prove is that our faith perhaps is weak it may prove that our faith may not be genuine but I'd like to firstly think that it proves that we are weak again that's something that can be changed isn't it We can, God can help us with that God can increase our faith as we pray to him But I want to look I wanna, with me actually to, to Matthew 13 well, or you, well, you don't have to but it's, it's the a famous chapters the parable of the sower and in it we read of two particular types of people in verses 5 and 6 we read some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth but when the sun was up they were scorched and because they had no root They withered away. And then verse 20 and 21. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, I'm very sorry to say that I know of several people who have been just like that they have been converted or they profess to be converted they say they're a Christian and they from a very early part of their Christian life they appear to be on fire they go out they want to tell people how important it is to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ but then the slightest bit of persecution the slightest bit of difficulty and they have turned their back on it and they unfortunately the the ones I know turn their back to the, on God, and they now claim to be atheists. That's the, the saddest thing. In, in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verse 12, we're told, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial. In other words, we are to expect it. We are to expect to be persecuted We know that trials are promised. That verse I read at the beginning, it says, doesn't it, in the world you will have tribulation. That was the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples. That's a promise to you and to me if you're a believer this evening. You are promised tribulation. But what does he say just after that? He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We know that Jesus has gone before us we know that he has done everything that is necessary and that he will be there at the very end to welcome us into heaven, to welcome us into glory. So we are to expect difficulties and try not to worry too much about it. There's a little verse no sorry there's a little word here actually I've just said it, in verse 6 which you probably gloss over quite easily it says in this you greatly greatly rejoice though now for a little while it's not going to last forever In fact, it's going to be very short. It will be very, very short when you think of how long eternity is. Persecution will not last forever. At the end of the chapter, we read in verse 24, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We all know how grass grows and gets scorched and gets burnt and blows away so quickly and we have to you know, mow the lawn every, almost every week you know, it's, it's, it comes and it's gone our persecution in fact our very lives are like that um, I, I don't really know how to describe eternity I wish I could but I can't I've seen someone use a, a really long rope and a, a tiny little segment at the end has been wrapped up in tape just to show how, how long our, our lives are ...compared to how long eternity is. You know, surely... ...it's better for us to suffer... ...a little... ...here on earth... ...and spend an eternity... ...with God in heaven. Surely that is much better. But how awful it is... ...to turn your back on Christ... ...so that you may enjoy... ...the pleasures of sin for a season... ...and then... ...suffer for an eternity in hell because that's what the bible tells us the bible tells us that there is a place for those who reject jesus christ and it's called hell and it's a place where god pours out his wrath pours out his punishment upon everyone who reject his son so peter encourages them to look beyond their trials because soon the Lord Jesus Christ would come. Soon the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ would be there to take them home into glory. Verse 8 says, Whom, having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, love and trust are, are vital, really, aren't they, in any relationship. If you were to, be, if you were to think of a marriage If they didn't love each other or trust each other, what on earth is going to happen to that marriage? It will fall apart. You would only ever get married to someone that you love and that you trust. And if we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we must trust him for everything. Trust him for the wisdom that we need here on earth. Trust him for everything that he he will give us, all our needs. But of course we've got to trust him for what's to come. And surely that will result in joy inexpressible or joy unspeakable. And it says in verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's, That's heaven. Speaking of heaven to the believer. Deliverance from trials. Deliverance from everything. Deliverance from a body which aches, and groans in pain. Faith in Jesus Christ results in deliverance from all these things. And it also results, really, for us here, in a lack of care, really. A lack of care, not for each other, or not for things in general, but a lack of care for what we actually go through. It may be difficult, it may be hard, but surely we should be happy to go through those things because we know what there is beyond so how often do you think of heaven I hope you think of heaven often hope you think of heaven and talk about heaven and someone asked this little girl he said he said to her do you think she's gone to heaven and she said no because of all the places she spoke about she never spoke about heaven you know she spoke about I don't know the Caribbean or Marbella or whatever she went she wanted to go to Now I'm sure for many of us, you know, we have a bucket list of places that we want to go to. But surely at the top of that list is heaven. Because once you're there, you're there. You will never leave. It's for an eternity. So that hope that we have of heaven gives us this joy. Joy unspeakable. Joy inexpressible. And if we have those things, surely we can have peace. We can have peace knowing that our salvation relies upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10 to 12, it speaks of the greatness of our salvation. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. In Hebrews, we are told, aren't we, that it says, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How can we escape the wrath of God if we were to neglect the salvation which has been made for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the fact is we can't escape if we neglect this salvation. This salvation as we're told here is something that was foretold by the prophets. They point, there are many things that we read in the Old Testament which point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the New Testament we read that the disciples preached about the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, everything in the Bible points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are no contradictions. The prophets spoke by uh, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The disciples spoke by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And all those prophecies came to pass and they were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has done it all. Everything. Everything. Everything that is needed for your salvation and for mine. And he has prepared a place for us in heaven, an inheritance. We can add nothing to it, we can take nothing away. And something which is quite amazing here in verse 12 it says that things which angels desire to look into. In other words, angels would like to know what it's like to be forgiven. Angels would like to know what it's like to be reconciled to God. They don't know any of this. And if you do not know that this evening, if you do not know what it is like to be forgiven by God, to be reconciled to God, you can know this evening. So these things, it's a comfort, isn't it? It's a comfort for you if you're a believer. It's a great comfort to know we have this inheritance waiting for us, being kept for us, and that we are being kept for that inheritance. But if you're not a believer this evening, how does that make you feel? Knowing that you have not got this comfort of the future. How do you feel? What comfort, in fact, do you have? Well, you can have this comfort. You can know this for yourselves. In John chapter 6, Verse 37. It says. If I can find it. I'm looking completely wrong place. Sorry, here we go. The one who comes to me. I will by no means cast out. You can know this comfort. You can have this comfort for yourself. If you just call upon the name of the Lord. And then you will be saved. But if you do not do that as I've already mentioned then there is a place for all those who reject the message of salvation and that place is called hell and in verse 13 we read this we read therefore gird up the loins of your mind therefore because of what's just been said because of this inheritance that is awaiting you you can carry on You. it doesn't matter what you go through It doesn't matter what you face. You can keep going. You can press on because you know you've got this inheritance to look forward to. So keep going. So if you're a believer this evening, I encourage you just to press on. Keep pressing on. And if you're not a believer, I encourage you to put your trust in Christ that you may be kept for this inheritance. This inheritance may be kept for you. I want to close with... couple of verses from hebrews let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith think of what you'll have when it's all over this life there are parts that we enjoy but there are equally parts which may seem utterly ghastly but think what we'll have when it's all over the best experiences that we have here on earth are nothing compared to heaven and it's there it's in heaven where we will see him where we will see the lord jesus christ face to face and we will be with him forever and ever and no one can take that away from you or me and no one can snatch him (coughs) from